When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to More Than Amused Podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hey everyone, and welcome back to More Than Amused. My name is Sadie. And I'm Stani. I know it hasn't been that long since you mm-hmm. heard us, since we had a bonus episode, but... I'm really excited to talk about this artist this week, especially because of everything that's going on Mm -hmm. in the world with Ukraine and Russia right now. But this is like the major disclaimer at the top is that this information was extremely hard to find, especially because of what I will talk about that happened just recently that kind of took up all of the news cycle. Mm-hmm. So every time I Googled her name, that's what um, would pop up. Yeah. So it made it really, really difficult to find anything about her, especially like no fault to Ukraine at all. But it made it really difficult. Very excited to see what we were able to find and better yeah. something rather than nothing about True. this artist. Agreed. And it is a artist that is what from Ukraine, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's from Ukraine. She's known as pretty much the most famous Ukrainian painter that there is. Ooh. So that's really cool. That oh, is and cool. her name. Oh, yes. We always, I think we yeah. always forget this part. <laughs> I know, because they're like the build up and then, you know, forget to say it. Anyway, it's yep. Maria Premenchenko. I would say it's like, it's weird being on a different side of the world than conflict, right? Mm-hmm. Feels weird to know how to approach it but i i like this i like that we're highlighting an artist from that country feels like the the one way that we possibly could i mean i'm not gonna say we're doing something here but you know (laughs) what i mean at least recognize it no agreed i think that's part of the reason why i wanted to do this so Mm -hmm. badly is i was just gonna do like an instagram highlight on a couple of ukrainian female artists and then go with someone that I had had planned from months ago, you know? Yeah. But just with everything that's happening and how helpless, you know, it it's yeah. easy to feel extremely helpless. There's nothing, like no decisions that you and I can make in our day-to-day lives. But just actually feel like something that yeah. I'm doing is helpful <laughs> in some tiny, small, inconsequential way. <laughs> no, I, I know what you mean, though. Yeah. And obviously, like, I... I feel very comfortable speaking for both of us with like we stand with Ukraine our hearts go out to all of them everyone who's dealing with all of this and who has family there and obviously we're hoping for a very quick end to all of this of course yeah okay well then let's just get into the artist I guess I know I'm excited to learn about her so we're gonna kind of have like a little bit of a different state of the arts here where I'm going to talk about, like, the movement that she was a part of and, like, some traditional Ukrainian art, like, really briefly. And mm-hmm. then at the end, we're going to have a, an extremely modern state of the arts talking about what's going on with her art in Ukraine right now. 
So first off, she was a part of a movement called Naive Art. Okay. And it was this whole movement of art that was basically founded around the idea of the person creating the art lacking formal education and training. Oh, interesting. Yes, which is so interesting, especially with like our modern world. Where I feel like even professional artists a lot of the times didn't undergo formal training. So it's interesting that this was like such a different thing that they had to create a whole new genre for it. Well, that's what I like that. Yeah, it's like a whole movement yes. for it. They're like, oh, they weren't trained. So they belong to a different category of visual art. And it was just other things that kind of characterized it. But what was also funny is that they also had a section that was like pseudo naive art or phono naive naive art uh-huh. where it was like professionals imitating this professional style okay interesting <laughs> yeah like a very interesting thing it's also comparative to like primitivism but based on like cave drawings and like folk mm. art it like has a lot of roots within that and obviously it goes right alongside folk art which is great because then it shows up a lot in different countries of their like own folk art and everything that is more connected to the culture of that country so there's like popular prints and media that often use it it grew a lot of popularity during the printing revolution because they were easy to replicate and easy to print because of their childlike simplicity and frankness and then just like easy rendering style. A lot of times it's considered like rudimentary, but I mean, <laughs> like I guess you could argue that it is, and a lot of people would probably think that like, oh, a child would draw something like that, but at the same time, there's something so beautiful about the fact that... Mm-hmm. Like it's they're... almost like that's the point though, so... Exactly. It's like if you criticize for it, it's like, okay, yeah, congratulations, you get it. Like you get the point then. Yes, It's also considered a part of outsider art, which is something that like comes up a lot, but I don't think we've talked about. It's just a whole idea that art that doesn't belong within the mainstream art world. So it's not Mm. from the Academy. It doesn't belong in the Paris museums. It's outsider art. And that's usually also done by like people of color or women all the times, you know, like that was considered outsider art even if it was more traditional methods. So just interesting. One naive artist that is very popular is Henry Rousseau. And then Pablo Picasso actually dabbled in naive art in some of his later works as well. Oh, I have heard of him, so. (laughs) Yeah. And I hate him because of our (laughs) podcast, so. Agreed. So Maria Primanchenko is one of these wonderful naive artists. Her name is up there along with Henry Russo. She's very well known for this art genre. And she is the most well-known Ukrainian painter from what I could find that talked about her. Like most well-known woman or most most well-known in general? I think most of them said she was most well-known in general. Well, that's cool. Yeah, so very cool. And Because she was from Ukraine, she also was very tied into Ukrainian folk art, which definitely played like a huge role in her art. Some things about Ukrainian folk art that are really cool is embroidery is like a huge part of their culture. It originally started showing up in like their folk dress and was like a part of their Ukrainian wedding celebrations and other things like that, like having embroidery. 
Mm-hmm. They would also have like different kinds of embroidery based on different regions of the country, which is oh, really that's cool. cool. Yeah. And then they had like different motifs and compositions as well as like choice of colors and types of stitches for like different events and different parts of the country as well. And what's even cooler about the fact that embroidery is such a major part of their culture is it's developed by women, typically a woman's activity and remains a women's activity to this day. Oh, okay. Yeah. So really cool that it was able to flourish and be such a part of their culture Mm -hmm. when it's created by women which doesn't happen in a lot of cultures and countries. I was going to say, a lot of times men hijack it, but (laughs) it's fine. I also love, there was a quote that said, there was scarcely a woman who did not master it to some extent, which I think is incredible. So it was a huge part of their culture and continues to be very popular. There's still embroidery clubs dedicated to embroidering in Ukraine, and it's remembered as a national pastime and as part of their national identity. So embroidery is huge for them. Another thing that you've probably heard of is like the Ukrainian Easter egg. Yeah. uh Decorating. Yeah. It's called a paisenka, but they use like traditional folk designs and then basically use the wax resist method, which from your childhood and my childhood would be drawing with a crayon on the egg and then dipping it in dye. Oh, yeah. Uh (laughs) Yeah. Because the paint resists the wax and then it creates a pattern. However, theirs is obviously a lot prettier, more elaborate. (laughs) Yeah. Their designs are like inscribed on with beeswax or like you'd expect from a crayon, like a wax. And then they're not meant to be eaten at all. So a lot of the times the egg yolk and the white are either allowed to dry up within the egg over time or they remove them by blowing them out through a small hole in the egg Mm. and just decorating the shell. That makes sense. And yeah, there was no peeling of their eggs and then eating the slightly blue white. Because that (laughs) was a part of my childhood, for sure. Same. So yeah, just like a beautiful part of their culture that obviously is now a huge part of a lot of cultures, but not to the extent of theirs. They also have a lot of like wood carving, ceramics, and weaving, just like a lot of traditional folk like art methods that it has such a rich history in Ukraine and it's really beautiful. So, and now to Maria Premenchenko. So she was born to a peasant family and spent pretty much the entirety of her life in her village in Bolotnia. It's in the Avankov rayon. I'm saying all this wrong, but anyway, it's only about 30 kilometers away from Chernobyl. In 1908, she was born... And her family, of course, grew up teaching her those varieties of traditional Ukrainian crafts. So she learned embroidery and Easter egg decorating from a very early age, which you can imagine would have quite an impression an artistically minded child. Her childhood wasn't very easy, though. She attended school for four years and then got sick with polio. And it ended up leading to like some walking disabilities and everything that would really impact her life. Oh my gosh. Uh, Obviously, polio is not an easy disease to recover from, especially back then. So it was a very difficult thing for her throughout her life. But all of her relatives said that she grew to be a thoughtful and considerate person, having a compassion for nature and every living thing. Other than that, there's not a lot about her childhood other than a quote from her about how her life with art began. 
She said, once as a young girl, I was tending a gaggle of geese. When I got with them to a sandy beach on the bank of the river, after crossing a field dotted with wildflowers, I began to draw real and imaginary flowers with a stick on the sand. Later, I decided to paint the walls of my house using the natural pigments. And after that, I never stopped drawing and painting. That does sound quite magical. Like, what a thing to be inspired by. (laughs) Yeah, it just sounds very beautiful. She was originally discovered in art because of her embroidery. Obviously, like I talked about, she learned it from childhood. And so in the late 1920s and early 1930s, she worked with the Avon Kiev Cooperative Embroidery Association. And she brought in like her own interpretation of those like traditional designs, as -hmm. well as creating her own. And then because of all of her embroidery that she was recognized for, in 1936, she was invited to join a community of artists that were trying to produce folk art on a professional level in Kiev. And an artist named Tatiana Floru saw her embroidery at the market there and invited her to work with the Central Experimental Workshop of the Kiev Museum of Ukrainian Art. Wow. Yeah. So folk artists from all over Ukraine gathered together and prepared for this like folk art exhibition, which took place in 1936, and then later was shown in Moscow and Leningrad. And that's where all of that came from. Later, she started displaying some of her drawings as well and paintings. Mm-hmm. And they were displayed at the International Exhibition in Paris, which I tried to do more research on. And from what I could find, I'm pretty sure this was the World Fair in Paris in 1937, which was a huge event. Uh, kind of bummed we don't do the World Fair anymore. I don't know when that stopped, but another thing like art competitions in the Olympics, we should bring back maybe. Sounds really cool. But the World Fair or the International Exposition of Art and Technology in Modern Life <laughs> was held from the 25th of May to the 25th of November in 1937 in Paris, France. It was literally right outside of the Eiffel Tower. I saw some pictures of it. And the theme, because it was right after World War I, was peace and progress. And something that was really cool is they gave each country a pavilion to decorate and to represent their culture and country. Some like notable moments from that were there was a Spanish pavilion that included artists such as like Pablo Picasso and his painting Guernica, which is like a depiction of the horrors of war, as well as Alexander Calder and Joan Miro painting Mm. and this was like a huge protest against the spanish civil war that was happening at the time so it was a major thing it drew a lot of attention not only because it had like picasso who's famous and other notable artists but also because it was literally protesting yeah this civil war that was taking place in their country another thing that happened was the german and the soviet russia pavilions were across from each other (laughs) and at this time germany was occupied by hitler we weren't into world war ii yet so he hadn't quite gone to that extent but he was still in charge he actually didn't even want to participate until one of his architects convinced him that it would be good for the image of germany germany interesting 
And obviously Germany and Russia did not like each other. And so they had like this weird competition between each other because Nazi Germany was trying to ironically promote not communism while Soviet Russia was obviously promoting Promoting. communism. So they kind of had a little face-off with each other across the pavilion. Yeah, but it didn't say that she was specifically a part of the Soviet pavilion. So like I said, don't know entirely how it worked. I don't even know if her work was in a pavilion like Picasso's was or if it was like just a part of a different display. Got it. So, but anyway, it said that some of her work was there and she was even awarded a golden medal at the Paris World Fair. And her art gathered a lot of attention. Pablo Picasso himself, even though we don't like him, he's still a very notable artist. And he titled her an artistic miracle. And even said, I bow down before the artistic miracle of this brilliant Ukrainian. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. So he was a huge fan of her work. And I mean, he did have good taste in art. We can give him that that, at least. Yes. (laughs) Following the World Fair, her work ended up touring tons of countries. It went across Italy, Australia, the United States, Canada, Sweden, Japan, China, Belgium, Bulgaria, Hungary, Poland, Denmark, Portugal, the Czech Republic, Germany, Russia, Georgia, Armenia, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Uzbekistan, and Kazakhstan. So literally everywhere. Yeah. It feels like, basically. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like major parts of Europe, Russia, and then pretty much... And Australia, like that's far. All the small parts of Europe as well. Yeah, so crazy. From in 1939... Maria Premachenko returned to her home village once again, and this was at the beginning of World War II. However, like two really important moments in her life took place during this time, and they're probably like the brightest moments of her personal life. She was able to stand on both of her legs because of two successful medical operations she had in Kiev. I'm guessing that's from her polio yeah she had a very early age so she was able to stand and then while she was in Kiev, she met a red army lieutenant named vassal Moranchuk, and they returned together to her native village and they had a son together in march of 1941 wow their son's name was fedor this is really sad <laughs> they didn't have time to get married because vosley ended up and going to war for World War II. Obviously, just a few months after their son was born, Ukraine was occupied by the Nazis. Mm. Her brother Ivan was shot by Germans. Her husband ended up dying within war. After the war, they had to deal with post-war poverty, like a collective farm within the village to try and survive. Oh my gosh. Yeah, bringing up her son alone without any support now that most of her family was gone. And she just didn't have the time or the strength for painting. Uh, I mean, obviously. Yeah, that's fair. However, not too soon after things started to settle down, she began to embroider again. And then shortly after, ended up taking up painting again. Um, mm, okay, that's good. Yeah. So I'm glad that she at least was able to get back to it at some point in her life. Yes, but obviously horribly sad that mm-hmm. like she had she a lot of wonderful things happen before a lot of really horrible things happened. Mm-hmm. 
We're gonna take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. So for today, I have found this artist on Instagram. Her name is Katarina Ojerko, I believe. Anyways, I'm gonna spell it. It's just K-A-T-E-R-Y-N-A underscore O-C-H-E-R-E-D-K-O underscore art. And the her bio, she's an artist, and it says, I explore beauty and watching life and transfer this to canvas, paper, and wall. And she does painting, etching, monotype, mosaic, and if you look at her account there is just a lot of beautiful work that she has done and it's yeah it's just very beautiful oh I, wow mm-hmm. and i also love too that like i mean if you look at her account not her account her highlights like there's my process my exhibition so it seems like for one thing it's amazing she's had a lot of success on it but i think it's also cool like just how different like diverse almost it all is you know like she she does so many different art mediums and a lot of like cool like my process videos which are really i always love watching that so it's really cool and she's a very talented artist i love the c translation feature on instagram (laughs) she has a painting called taste of pleasure of like a woman and it looks like a mosaic but it's painted that's beautiful so pretty or almost like cross stitch too. Like everything's mm-hmm. in tiny little squares and yet it's painted. Oh yeah. It's stunning. Oh, I think that one's my favorite. Yeah. It looks like she has another one that's a similar style too. Like just a little bit further down. I oh, yep. Mm-hmm. Obsessed with that. Ooh, I like want it. Oh, there's another one too. Okay. Now I want to buy art. That's so beautiful. Really beautiful. Anyways, you have to go look. Obviously us just talking and gushing over it can only do so much but she's a very beautiful artist does very amazing just such a variety of cool work so go follow her okay well i found a ukrainian pop star her name is alina pash okay it's a l i n a and then p a sh so she has quite a few things out even recent ones it looks like she had a single and an album come out in 2021 yeah so she has tons of stuff that you could listen to on spotify it looks like she did the eurovision song contest too oh that's cool which is really cool and she's also posting a ton about what's happening in ukraine right now and advocating so that's a great source like from someone who's in the country if you mm-hmm. want to know more about what's happening absolutely also just a way to celebrate ukraine in another small way yeah which we're all about i love it and like if you just scroll down her looks and visuals like they're really creative and really really cool she's gorgeous that's for sure absolutely (laughs) but like her fashion is something that i just am also extremely jealous of she just looks like a really cool person so i'm excited to listen to her music i also wanted to give like a little shout out we've done a spotlight on her before but it's an artist that's currently in ukraine right now and i think her artwork is just amazing we've been following her for a while and she's been posting updates every day of what's been happening her name is daria halazatova It's D-A-R-I-A-H-L-A-Z-A-T-O-V-A. Yeah, like I said, we've spotlighted her before, but her work is just like stunningly beautiful. Um, 
just incredible and she's currently in the thick of it waiting at any moment to evacuate if needed so just another chance to go support someone in any small way that we can while all of this is going on and I love her work too because it's very reminiscent of a lot of the things we talked about like the bright colors the intricate patterns and like mythical creatures and humans and flowers yeah yeah that's seen in Primanchenko's work I feel like her work is has like like a more modern version of that yeah yeah totally a fun little challenge I'd love to spotlight a ton more of Ukrainian artists that are like actually from Ukraine in Ukraine right now so any of you who know someone who is or following someone who is or willing to take a little bit of time out of your day and find someone just DM them to us and we'll spotlight them on the Instagram this week. It's just been really hard with news headlines to actually find people who are really there that are small independent artists and could mm-hmm. use a little bit more of a boost amongst everything that's happening right now in their country. So Absolutely. send them to us and then we can get as many people of our little small following to go follow them <laughs> and check them out. No, absolutely. All right, now back to the show. Also at this time, which is obviously some many years later, so from the 1960s to the 1980s, she started changing her techniques, which makes sense. Like a lot had changed yeah. in those many years. And so she went from watercolors to gouache paints, which is really cool. Gouache paints are less transparent, so they have more of a thick color. Oh, and cool. it gave her you know, the opportunity to really play around with these really bright, bold colors. And instead of a lot of white backgrounds that she had in her work previous, she really played into that color and did really, really bright colors. So her work is very bright and extremely colorful. That's what I say when I I just Googled her name when you mentioned it. And yeah, like that's what you see is you see all those bright colors. Yes, it's a really, really bright. A cool thing that happened is that her son actually grew up to become an artist as well. He is a folk artist and a master of naive art as well. And he considered himself a very close friend and talented follower of his mother, which is very sweet. And Mm -hmm. him and his wife, so he ended up getting married and having two sons and these grandchildren also carried on the tradition of art in the family, which is really amazing. In the 1960s, this was her next public appearance after the war and everything else that came from that. Then in the 1970s, her work of art started appearing on Ukrainian stamps, which I've decided is the ultimate measure of... (laughs) An artist accomplishment, yes. Because we've talked about so many artists where they show up on stamps, and it seems like such a small thing, but like I would love to have my art on a postage stamp. That sounds like like how much more universal can you get? Agreed. So that's really cool. In 1973, there was an art museum called the Zapper. I'm I'm not even gonna try. It's in a city in Ukraine. It's, cool. uh, it starts with a Z, and then it's Oblast Art Museum. They gathered about 10 pieces from Primanchenko from different artists in Ukraine. And then wanting more of her work, the two curators, El Shushko and M. Savetska, they went to meet the artist herself, which is so cool to me that they're just like, we want more of your art. Mm-hmm. So they went to visit her in 1980 and ended up bringing back five more paintings of hers. 
Wow. And then in 1983, they went back again and ended up walking away with 75 of her paintings. Wow. 75 paintings, which, I mean, they struck gold. Yeah. Right then and there. Primanchenko's daughter-in-law actually protested the whole thing. She's like, mother, what do you think you're doing? You've promised those works to Kiev. Which she replied quietly, let them take these. I will paint more. And if you have 70 paintings, like you can, you (laughs) got. But what's cool is she's 65 at this time. So she's literally like, here, have 75 of my paintings. I'll paint more for Kiev. Like, don't worry about it. Like, it'll be fine. Yeah, which is just incredible. And just shows like her little quiet demeanor. Like, I'll let them have it. Like, I'll Mm -hmm. paint more. It'll be fine. Don't worry. It'll be fine. Yes. (laughs) Her art, we're going to talk about it for a little bit. She paints a lot of animals. Sometimes they behave like humans, playing musical instruments and wearing hats. She also has a lot of animals that aren't actually animals. So they're like fantastical beasts, like horses with wings, two-headed chickens. My favorites of hers are actually the scenes of rural life in Ukraine, like harvest Mm -hmm. family meals, individuals at work, and her flowers. I think her flowers are just absolutely stunning. They're literally just, oh, they're so pretty. I can see looking at her paintings too, that like, yeah, it is very simple, but like, I mean, I could never do this. Like, so like the idea of like, oh, a child could do this is like, no. yes, like I can <laughs> see like why you would say that, but like actually no way a child could do this, you know? Agreed. Yeah. Like they're gorgeous. She includes a lot of references to the natural world and also to fairy tales, which is really pretty. And then lots of traditional Ukrainian motifs, which is just beautiful. She definitely has like a love for her country that you can see in all of her work. As her work got brighter, she also started including short phrases or proverbs on the verse of her canvases, which related to the topic of the work, which is really cool. So kind of whatever Mm. inspired her, she would write it on the back. Yeah. Some of the things that they mention about her work is first off, her paintings of the traditional life in Ukrainian countryside are like storybook illustrations. I loved that quote. I think it's totally accurate. Like this looks like it would be in a fairy tale book and it makes Ukraine look like it's a magical, fantastical country. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Flowers are obviously a huge part of just Ukraine and artistic heritage. If you've seen a lot of things going around on social media about how their national flower is a sunflower and there's just Mm -hmm. like fields of sunflowers everywhere. So she would draw these like bright, decorative, unusual, colored and shaped, beautiful flowers and how they relate to like human beings in the world. She does a lot of birds, which for centuries have personified goodness, love, peace kind of represent that connection between heaven and earth and there in a lot of them and then also tons of unique fantasy creatures which are just cool like all sorts of things that you can't even name because they don't exist in our natural world a lot of critics have noticed her specific philosophy of the good where Mm. she embodies the images of kind birds and beasts and you know just really represents the happy things that are shown in life and like how she views the world which is like it's crazy because she lived through some of the worst of the world you Mm -hmm. know like being in nazi occupied europe like i mean you know family members died and yeah it's so it's 
yeah, it's amazing. She was still able to focus on that and made that conscious choice to do that. Agreed. It's just incredible. And there was even a quote that said, the magic world of Maria Primanchenko continues to capture the imagination. Oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which I love so much. They've created like albums of reproductions of her work. There's been tons of exhibitions. Films have been made. I couldn't find a lot of records of them, but I'm sure they're there in Ukraine especially. And even a coin, a Ukrainian coin has her on it. And then postage stamps, like we talked about. In 2018, 15 postcard-sized works of art by Premenchenko were sold for more than $25,000. Wow. Which is a lot of money. And then there was an exhibition in an art museum in Finland called The Fabulous World of Maria Premenchenko in 2018 as well. They did like a whole multiple room display of her work, which is awesome and then in only 2021 so just a year ago a mural representing maria primanchenko was painted by sasha corbin in the town of on to celebrate the artist oh cool yeah and i'm gonna try and remember to post a photo of that on social media because it was really cool that they did that uh one quote by her is i love flowers of the sun because i love people so i do things for them to be happy so they love one another, all peoples, so they live like flowers on this earth. Oh, that's very nice. Some awards. She got a Taras Sivchenko National Prize of Ukraine in 1966. The UNESCO, which is like a United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, mm-hmm. <laughs> declared 2009 the year of Primanchenko. Oh, cool. A street in Kiev is named after her and a minor planet as well is also named after her see i feel like having a street named after you is also another sign that like you've made it you know like that is significant i know and a planet yeah i mean can't yeah can't beat that really and then her compositions have continued to be exhibited all over the world even copied by some other folk artists to be used for different decorations and different things And then this sentence kind of transitions us into the sad part of this story. Maria Primanchenko devoted nearly 60 years to her beloved occupation of painting. Her works are spread among Ukrainian museums and private collections. And the largest part of her legacy, nearly 650 works dating from 1936 to 1987, is kept in the collection of the National Museum of Ukrainian Folk Applied Art in Kiev. Oh, no. Which blew up. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. Not a lot of people have actually been talking about this other than, like, a few art websites I've seen. Mm -hmm. But it, like... It also made it kind of hard to find anything about her because this is like the news that's spreading everywhere. So far, there's only been confirmation that 25 paintings by her out of this entire collection of 650 have been damaged. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, and they were burned during Russia's invasion of Ukraine. For anyone who's wondering, the i just don't even know where to start with this it's so sad so obviously like russia is invading ukraine right now and during their invasion one this museum caught on fire Mm. it's about two hours outside of kiev it was shelled by russian troops and the museum opened in 1981 and it was recently renovated 
houses more than two dozen works of art by Maria Primachenko on a regular basis. I think they own around 650 of her works, but obviously, like I said, they have different it's not just 650 paintings that'd be insane yes and they like loan art out and everything else to other places for Mm -hmm. other exhibitions so hopefully it's not more than 25 but still 25 paintings is a lot of paintings especially for like a native ukrainian artist of Mm -hmm. such a claim to have that destroyed yeah devastating also it's an act it's a war crime which I don't think a lot of people know as well. So I, actually, I looked it up. Targeted destruction of antiquities and other cultural relevant things to a country is a war crime. They had a 1954 Hog Convention for the Protection of Cultural Property in the Event of Armed Conflict that was adopted after World War II because of the plundering of the art that the Nazis undertook. Which, if you haven't read a lot about, it's crazy. Like, the Nazis took over the museums in Paris and other European countries, and a lot of art was damaged and destroyed and stolen during that time period. It truly was, like, something that you can't really come back from after that happens. And that's why it's considered a war crime. You're not allowed to destroy cultural property, even in the event of a war, just because it goes against everything that like humanity stands for it said such acts of war obviously violate the unesco world heritage convention which establishes that national treasures also are part of protected global patrimony so basically just saying that like if it's culturally relevant to their country it doesn't just belong to them it belongs to an entire global economy and like Mm -hmm. worldwide humanity and so to go in and destroy it is disgusting yeah (laughs) yeah so there's been a lot of videos circulating on social media showing the history museum on fire the deputy minister of cultural affairs in ukraine posted footage and said having no culture of their own they destroy all the heritage of other nations just disgusted with everything that's happening They're still kind of trying to figure out how much damage has been done. Obviously, when your country is under attack, you can't really go over to the art museum. and Yeah, like, there's a priority here. Yeah, which is as sad as it is, like, you can't blame them at all. Like, obviously, like, citizens' health and wellness takes precedent, but it's just not, not great. Yeah. (laughs) I, like, don't know. It's horrible. (laughs) This is not okay what's happening, and... The museum even made an official statement saying this is painful news for all admirers of the genius of Ukrainian people, Maria Primachenko, who left us a legacy of priceless works from which we still draw inspiration and wisdom. The destruction of the Ukrainian cultural heritage by the Russian occupiers is a crime that will never be justified and forgiven. Wow. And, of course, even though her name is in the bulk of all of this, there was other Ukrainian artists that Yeah, were I was going to well. say, like, if it was, it's not like it was just her ex- exhibit. Like, mm-hmm. this was all of their art. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, another notable name was Hannah Verez that came up. So, she's another Ukrainian folk artist whose work is also in peril. And I'm sure this will have, like, lasting effects on the Ukrainian art scene, They've already had to postpone a ton of their exhibits and other things that they have had planned because of what's happening. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, just awful. The Association of Art Museum Curators 
which has an international community, also came forward with a statement saying that they condemn the violation of territorial integrity and sovereignty of Ukraine, concerned for all people affected by the invasion, and have our colleagues across the art, historical, and cultural sector living in and working in Ukraine at the forefront of our minds and hearts. As the situation continues to unfold, we also hope that any deliberate targeting of art, architectural, archaeological, and cultural sites does not occur, as it is against international treaties to which the United States government is a signatory, including the 1954 Hague Convention for the Protection of Cultural Property, the United Nations Security Council Resolution, and the UNESCO Convention Concerning the Protection of World Cultural and Natural Heritage. Wow. So they're breaking a ton of laws. I mean, granted, they... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, nothing in this said that it was deliberate, but, like, I don't think you just, like, blow up an art museum casually on your way in. And, um, like, also, I, I don't... I feel like that's not the point, you know? Like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it is. I don't know. But regardless if it's on purpose or not, it's still not good. No, like it's a war crime. So, but yeah, I just, I feel like obviously that's like a really somber note to end the episode with, but that's the most current thing that's kind of sweeping the headlines about Maria Primachenko. Mm-hmm. And I think it just is even more of a testament of like the life of hardship she had living in like Russian occupied Ukraine for so many years and then having to deal with you know german occupied ukraine during like literally world, war, world II, war ii yeah losing so much of your family finally being able to come back from that and seeing her nation in peace and like independent and then having you know all of this mm-hmm. happen to her legacy after when did so, she die she passed away in august of 1997 so she lived for a very long time she was 88 years old when she died, but it's just, it's awful. If you Google her name right now, all of the articles that come up are just about Russian this. forces, burned down museum, paintings by Maria Primachenko burn. Ukraine accuses Russia of burning down a museum. So it was very difficult, <laughs> like I said, to find stuff about her. But the little that I did find, it just sounds like she believed in like peace and humanity and like this beautiful world where like animals and creatures and flowers were just like blossoming and bright and happy. And and that's a beautiful thing. It is. It is a beautiful thing. And I just think with all the ugliness in the world, like a quiet moment where we can just reflect back on a very talented and beautiful artist who is very important to the country of Ukraine is something that we can all do. Yeah. Yeah. There's not much else that we can do about this whole situation right now. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. But yeah, that's Maria Primachenko. Thank you so much for introducing me to her art. It's absolutely beautiful. And thank you everyone for taking the time to listen. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you're an old listener, you know, maybe leave us a rating or review on whatever you listen to would be appreciated. And also, if you're new, be sure to follow us on morethanamuse.podcast on Instagram, because that's where we will post a lot of the paintings that we talk about. It can be a little bit hard to communicate paintings by (laughs) speaking. So having that visual along with it really does make a difference. So be sure to follow us and check us out. I'll be posting a ton of her work this week. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's just so pretty. And she has so much of it. Like, obviously, she gave 75 paintings away on a whim and then had 650 
Yeah, like she's got a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Perfect. Well, we will be back next week with another episode. Goodbye. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Hey, podcast listener, do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.